0: Good morning again, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Our text this morning will be Philippians chapters 1 and 2. I mean it, (laughs) I think it's just because I want to prove to you that it is possible for Joe LeMay to handle two whole chapters at once and not just two verses. So that's what we're going to do for this morning. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And so in light of even that announcement, help us see. Help us see what we have seen and help us see it again all as one whole piece. Help us see it not just with our minds, but with the eyes of our hearts. Cause your holy, infallible, inerrant word, message, exhortation, and encouragement through your Apostle Paul this morning to impact us to the glory of Jesus. the glory of Jesus in our walks amen and amen so that's what we're going to do this morning before we move into chapter three next week God willing I want us this morning to just take the flyover of the forest of all of these trees that we have been walking through over the last 25 sermons in Philippians. And so, we're going to read every verse except for the first two in chapter one. And, let's start. But I will be stopping and commenting and seeing the flow. (laughs) Start with verse three, chapter one. Paul opens up. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Philippian church. Always in For, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul tells them that he is filled with joy for the Philippian church because they have supported the gospel and helped spread it. And then the second reason, he says, is because, Philippians, I'm persuaded that you are real Christians. I'm persuaded by that, and thus I had this unshakable confidence that God will Complete the work in you. Because you're real. That's Paul's theology. And that theology of God's utter sovereignty in the salvation of sinners did not cause Paul at all to not pray, but instead it was a motive with confidence To pray for fellow believers. And why is he so sure that they're real? His answer is. Because I hold you in my heart. I have the affections in me of the spirit of Jesus. And that's why I have this affection towards you. Which tells me you're real. And the reason. They're in his heart, he says, is because of their true fellowship, quinonia, in the gospel, specifically in their financial support. So Paul says, Christ, he created this bond, Philippian church, between you and me, and therefore, you're real, and that's my joy. And then, in verses 9 to 11, what Paul does here, here's here's how I see this, okay, here's Joe's interpretation of the first two chapters. And just thinking through it and thinking through it and watching it. These three verses, 9 to 11, are the main point of all of chapters 1 and 2. And it is my prayer that your love May abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may, day by day, approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul says, oh, let your love, this is how I pray for you constantly, God, do it in him, do it, do it, do it, and thus Philippians, let your love towards each other grow more and more and more. In other words, the Christian life, sanctification, and why? Why do I want that to happen to you? He says why? So that verse 10, What happened? That you may approve what is excellent. This is what Philippians chapters one and two are all about in a nutshell. Grow in wisdom and, Let that faculty within you called discernment develop in loving others. So that not just that you would recognize and see "Eh, this is better than that. This is more excellent than that. Not just so that you would decipher the difference but that you would also in deciphering Love what's best. Approve of what is more excellent than the other. Delight in that which is the best step. Move to take. In other words, Paul's saying it's a matter of your heart agreeing with what your head sees. Oh yeah, I see. Door one, door two, door three. Right now, which one? This one's best. You can see that one's best and then decide, but I really like this other one right now. He's saying, oh, that you would grow. That, that, that the work of the Spirit and the Word of God would work in you. That when you see door one, two, and three, you will say, I want what's best here. And So here's the point over the last six months as a whole. In Philippians, grow in the fruit of Jesus Christ, which is to grow in delighting in, approving what is best, in the sense of not just seeing the difference between good and better and best or wrong or evil, but in choosing what's best. Concerning your relationship, God, and your relationships with others. And so now, what are these big and better things? You got any examples, Paul? And the answer is yes, that's what he's doing. He goes on in the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2 to lay out. You want some examples of what this looks like? Here it is, beginning with verse 12, chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And and most, most of the brothers, the Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from a motive of envy and competition, rivalry. But others, from goodwill. The latter, they do it out of love, knowing that I, Paul, am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former Christians, they proclaim Christ a selfish ambition not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment what then only that in every way whether with bad motives or in truth Christ is proclaimed and I Paul here's my decision I'm taking door three that, in that context, in that circumstance, in in those rivalries with people that have against me, I rejoice. So Paul says, look, look, my my imprisonment has resulted in the advance of the gospel in two ways. And here's the thing, both of those ways, he's going to make a transition, relate to two problems you're dealing with. Philippian church in Philippi. For, for instance, he will say later, Philippians, don't be frightened by persecution, by the opposition, your opponents, verse 28 of chapter 1. In other words, he's already given Paul's own example. I got opponents here. They really want to do me harm. And then secondly, in chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, where he will tell them don't get caught up in these petty rivalries with each other. Selfishness. Like, I, Paul, have chosen not to do that. The, 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 there's some that, yeah, really that, that, that's their motive, but I'm not going into it. I'm just going to say, you know what? Christ is preached! And thus, I rejoice. In other words, I choose to approve of what is I put the gospel over my personal circumstances or hurt feelings or of offense. And this is the fruit of Jesus Christ. Then in verses 19 to 21, he gives another example of that kind of sanctification working in him. Where he says, I choose the best. I choose To rejoice over the prospect of going on and living. Just as much as the prospect of being killed by the state of Rome as a martyr. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. This will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, his deliverance is not out of jail. It is out of shaming Christ. My deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life, By death, because to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, Oh, I rejoice. Why does he rejoice? His answer is clear because Christ being honored, whether I live or die, that's what I approve of. I'm proving, approving of what is best, Christ caused me to learn the lesson that he prays for them, of approving what is most excellent. Read on, verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, this means fruitful labor, work, more work for me down here on earth. Yeah, yeah. Which I shall choose? Well, in one sense, I cannot tell. What I mean is this. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, if I just thought about just myself, is to depart and to be with Christ. Because that's far better. But on the other end, to remain and not die right now, To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Okay, so here I am, Paul. I pray for you Philippians. (laughs) Oh, your love would grow more and more. that, That discerning faculty, which one, if I had the choice, would I choose to do which is better? Well, same with me, Paul. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming there to Philippi to serve you again. In other words, he says, because to live as Christ and to die personally for me is gain. if I had the choice then, according to the principle of approving what is most loving what is best, then I would choose to not die, but stay and have a lot more work to do down here. The lessons taught, Paul was seeking the benefit of others rather than his own interest. And it's a model to help now the Philippians in their schism problems in Philippi. So it's now Paul makes his transition. Essentially, and it just flows something like this. Now having given myself as an example of approving what is best, therefore you, Philippians, do what I pray for you to do. Do, chapter 1, verse 10, approve what is best. And then he lays out, specifically laid out this way, starting with verse 27 of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 2. Therefore, you live worthily of the gospel. Let's read it. Only let your manner of life, the way you live, Be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by persecution, by your opponent's. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For you see, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in, you're engaged in the same conflict of persecution that you saw that I, Paul, had. And now hear that I still So he tells them, conduct your lives in in such a way that is in line with the gospel. How? First, by standing firm together, seeking the unity of the faith. And by secondly, not being fearful of the opposition to Christianity there in Philippi. Don't be fearful of your opposition that you are experiencing because of your faith in Christ. Trust God. He's sovereign. And then Paul goes on to break down more specifically the conduct that is worthy of the gospel, starting with chapter 2. So Philippians... If, well, obviously, if they're real Christians, this is all true. Since, it, since there is encouragement that you gather from your relationship with Christ, and since there is comfort from His love towards you, and, and since there is participation that you have with God the Holy Spirit, because He dwells in you, since you experience in Christ His affection and sympathy towards you, Therefore, complete my joy by being of the same mind toward one another. In other words, having the same love, being full in, in full accord with one another and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So he tells them, based on your experience with Jesus Christ by the indwelling Holy Spirit, take that and overflow that toward each other with the same mindset that Christ has toward you in other words live the self sacrificial life for others Paul says what I mean is this read on have this mind have these thoughts. Think this way among yourselves, which, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What mind? This mind. Jesus' is mind. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped and refused to become human. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And therefore, you know what? God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. So he tells them, think and choose and live like Jesus. This is what leads to that future promise of exaltation. Follow Jesus' attitude. He says, why? This is the flow of the first two chapters. Why do that? Because that's what it is to be working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the next thing he says. Therefore, with Christ as your example, my beloved, as you... Have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Follow Christ. Look to the interest of others. Live worthily of the gospel. Why? Because it is God who is working this in you and through you and will bring it to completion for everyone who belongs to him. Okay, what does this working out mean? Well, that's what he goes on to do. Starting with verse 14 of chapter 2. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Breaking it down, it means this. Do all things without grumbling against God. Do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse Twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, as we stand there, Philippians, I may be proud that I did not waste my time on you. I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if if I am to be poured out, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, killed here in Rome, executed. Well, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and you should rejoice with me. So he tells him, in other words, don't grumble against God as you walk through this life and all of your relationships. In persecution in all the stuff that has and will or may happen to you don't grumble how by trusting his promises trusting his providence in it which means as essentially Paul says to them which means you can rejoice even in the face of persecution Fines, loss of freedom, jail, as much as the prospect of my own martyrdom, if it happens, I'm rejoicing and I want you to rejoice with me in it. And then Paul put forward two examples of what he's calling for. First Timothy and then Epaphroditus. So I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's talking about Christians. For they all seek their own interest. Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust that in the Lord, shortly I myself will come also. And I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my name, for he has been longing for you all and, and has been distressed on your behalf because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. Consider the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are examples of working out your own salvation, of choosing what is best. And so, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy and honor Such men, such people, like Epaphroditus, because he nearly died for the work of Christ, choosing what's best, which was risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Receive such people, honor them. Emulate them because they represent living for the very best, and not just the merely okay or good. All right. What I'm going to do is read chapters one and two again. Not really. What I'm going I have condensed them then. Two and a half minutes. It is my paraphrase, again, of how I see it. And I hope it's helpful, and then we'll go to application. Paul writes to the Philippians, Because of God's grace uniting you with me in the ministry of the gospel, I have deep affection for you. And know that God will complete the sanctifying work of making you more loving by His enabling you to discern and to approve of what is best. Just like He's working in me, causing me to rejoice in my imprisonment and bad treatment from other Christians for the sake of the gospel. Because what is best is seeking to exalt Christ in whatever circumstances, whether in life or in death. And so, as an example of approving the best, the most loving route to take, I, Paul, would choose to stay on earth for love's sake, even though from a selfish standpoint to die and to be with Christ is far better, you know, just to me, if I only consider myself. And therefore, with these examples, Philippians You also are to live worthily of the gospel by standing together in one spirit and not fearing persecution, the opposition that you're getting from unbelievers. Specifically, be humble and put each other first. In other words, do as Jesus did by laying down your life for others. This is what it means to daily work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is the ongoing of fearing your heart of unbelief rising up, which manifests itself in seeking your own interest at the expense of and not caring about the other person. But, oh, no, 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 be very encouraged, you see. It is God who is working these things in you, both in what you do will and do choose or work to do. And the road that he is taking the true children of God down is causing us more and more to trust his providence in all that happens so that we learn not to grumble against the great lover of our souls. It is this work of the Spirit in the Christian life that could even lead one like me, Paul, to rejoice in the face of martyrdom. Consider the motives and Choices that Timothy and Epaphroditus have made, they are supreme examples of what God is calling us to do and therefore honor such people because they represent what it is to work out your own salvation. That is chapter 1, verse 10, living for the very best, overflowing in love toward others. And so these... Two chapters of Philippians, at the core, they're all about from direct commands, from commands indirectly through his prayers and then the examples of his own life and of others' lives, they're all about finding the will of God ongoingly in your lives and desiring it. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In other words, these two chapters are about walking with Jesus. They are about the Christian life. These chapters are about constantly recalibrating your spiritual and moral senses in order to discern the best route. Good from evil, the best versus the merely good. That's what they're about. Now, I'm going I hope I can try. It's kind of complex to communicate this, but this is discerning. It's, this is more than merely sitting down intellectually, Got decisions to make, and we do that in life, and it's a good thing with decisions, particular kinds of decisions, pros and cons, or what should we do here, and financial planning, what should we do here over the next three years, or should we move, should we not move? They're, they're big things, and you, you have you have time and you contemplate and you use your, your intellect. But the vast majority of life as we make Choice after choice after choice after choice on a day-by-day basis do not work like that. We wake up and we grab our clothes and we dress and we eat and we walk and we drive that route to work or, or to over there. And we just are constantly making decisions without sitting down every little decision saying, God, what's your will? I want to prove what's best. I'm not sure if I should wear that shirt. Now, some of you know, right? I mean, when, when many of us get converted to Jesus, we love him so much. We, what's the will of God? And there are people who got stuck on should they wear a tie or which tie to work that day? And what's the will of God? Well, we don't sit down. And you shouldn't sit down and ask, which tie should I wear? God, give me your will. But We make choices all the time. And that's just the way it is. The point is this, if we're going to grow in love and in walking in God's will in our lives, and during the rising cultural and legal persecution against biblical thought, Christian thought, then most of the time we'll be making these choices by internal Reflex, which manifest who we are and where we're at, apart from intellectual reflection at the moment. And it's much like—I'm sorry, I'm a sports guy, so—but women, you—you you know what sports are. It, it's much like watching a great defensive shortstop field the ball, or a batter hitting it, or Tiger Woods striking the golf ball as you watch them in the games real competition it's amazing their skill it didn't just happen yes there's a there's a natural coordination that god gave them it's a start but when you watch that shortstop just field without thinking it's because of fielding 10,000s of ground balls over and over and over and over or hitting 10,000s of baseballs or striking the golf ball on the range over because they're training the muscle memory. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your feeling of ground balls would approve That you're striking accurately the golf ball would grow. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And that's the point. The fielding, if you go to a church picnic and someone who's not athletic at all has never played it, it's like, and if put, go, go put them over there at third base and a ground ball comes, literally their mind freezes. <laughs> I don't ever do this. And, and they go through a thought process. What do I do? And it's just too late and the ball's by them. A the shortstop that they pay $40 million to,
1: he doesn't even think
0: about it. It's just now all reflex. There's no thought thinking, the faculty of discernment. It is deeper than merely taking time out all the time and sit down and say, wait a minute, pros and cons. It is deeper than, just give me the Christian list. This is why Christianity is not merely the letter of the law. Outside of us, and there never will be the Christian app to say, I don't have to develop my gift of discernment in here of right and wrong and good and best. I don't need to do that because we've got a Christian app now. Any decision I need to make will just tell me what to do. That's not Christianity. It won't work. This is the faculty that not only sees, but approves. No app can do that for you. It approves. That is best, and I want that more than anything else. It is that faculty that desires to do it. What Paul is after in these first two chapters is growth. Changing our desire factories. Where discernment comes from. Where approving comes from. The discerning faculty of the heart which grows as it grows more and more in love with Christ and his word. And that is what develops your worldview. That's what develops the lens and everyone is looking through lenses in this world that develops a Christian worldview lens. And when you see more and more in your society, your neighbors and the media and politics, and you realize they're in a different world. They really are. They're looking through a totally different lens. But to grow in love abounding and your discernment the way you see and decipher and say nope, nope, yes, yes that is going to the field every day and taking hundreds of ground balls see in real life everyday life We're making choices all the time. Without any time, we're not sitting down and contemplating and reflecting on what would be the best to do. For for instance, a good person. I can imagine there are people that are so narcissistic they wouldn't do that, but most of us can hardly imagine that, but you're walking down the street and in the corner of your eye you, it's not you're, you just see a three-year-old little girl start running to the street and no one's what you're not well me, what should I do? I don't want to like grab her. Uh, maybe someone think I'm kidnapping the you just do because of who you are, you react. You just go on the street and you grab the kid most of life is like that without reflecting. And that's why Paul calls this something to be developed. I pray that it would grow more and more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Discerning how to act. How to choose. How to love better, and that discernment, that choosing, or say, which way should I go? What's the will of God? It doesn't just happen if you're a Christian. I'm closing. I know this because Paul prays for God to do it. Paul believes in prayer. God continually cause their love their choices their discernment and their approving what is right as they walk through life with one another and in this world cause it to grow so it's the work of God and secondly you know the old saying you are what you eat eat candy all the time, body will, not not immediately, but it will manifest a disease. You're what you eat. What are you eating? What's your diet? This life, the Christian life, the first two chapters, it is boiled down in one sense simply to this. It's developed by your communion with God and the food Of the word of God. Choose what's best. Don't love the world. John tells us. Okay. How? One simple answer. Is Psalm 1. And it's Psalm 1. For a reason. Of the whole song book of the Bible. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. First, the company you keep. And meaning... The companies, oh, those are the persons I really enjoy. And they're wicked. They've got a totally different worldview than the gospel. But I love that kind of company in my life. He says, I'm not blessed. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the council. Wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but what? His or her delight? Okay, there it is. You you can't make that up. You can't tell me to delight in mushrooms. I don't. Or figs like yesterday. I'm sorry. I've, I've done it before. I'm not. You can't. It's not going to work. I don't have a delight in them. Blessed is the Christian who has his delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he internalizes it. Meditates day and night, thinks, lets it form his worldview, his thinking constantly of the reality of the Creator and who He is in mercy towards those whom He is saving and what He calls you to do and how He calls us to look at the world. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Oh, I pray that your love may grow more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove what is excellent, and thus what? Be filled with the fruit righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The alternative to walking in the counsel of the ungodly is to delight in the law of Yahweh. The whole great challenge of Philippians 1 and 2 is that our faculty of what we desire, that faculty of discerning what's best and choosing the best, that that would develop and grow more and more, which means get into the batting cage in your lives constantly. Or the way Paul says it in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world but, you can hear Psalm 1 here, can't you? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is Good and acceptable and perfect. Every one of us as lovers of Jesus are constantly desperate to be transforming our minds and our hearts in order to see more spontaneously in the way we make choices and be desiring the good to walk with God. As Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 says, it comes by knowledge and another faculty. Your discerning faculty, which then impacts what you choose to approve of or to reject. It comes by the work of the Spirit and thus it's What we're approving of is love, overflowing with Christ's love, walking as Christ walked. So here's the exhortation after the first two chapters of Philippians. Let us follow Paul in these two chapters by desiring and working to grow in delighting in what God delights in. Now I'm gonna put it all in the nutshell and say this. Seek every day to walk in the will of God. How? And I mean this. Simple. First, constantly saturate yourself with the Bible. Know it. Know it more and more. Know it inside and out. That's not it. Saturate yourself with the Bible. And love God. And then what? As you go out your door, just do what you want. Satisfy right, so yourself with the Bible. Love God. And don't go, what you want, what you want. Just live and do what you want. And you will find yourself approving what is excellent. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Father, we thank you for your care. That even in that, as I should even add at that last last exhortation because we know now as we rest as we obey you in that saturating ourselves in scripture and loving you in our Savior Jesus Christ that we know that it is you who are at work in us both to will and to cause us to work for your good pleasure do it all